0: indigenous earth community podcast where we celebrate indigenous heroes from around the world and learn from them on how to honor the traditions of protecting the planet we discuss actionable tips on how to connect to our beautiful planet while lessening our daily impact i'm your host frank oscar weaver With the current unrest, pandemic, and climate crisis plaguing each and every one of us, we know that this year we need to bring attention to the dire need for action. Action at the local level, regional, national, and ensuring a brighter and cleaner world for all of us, and those yet still to come. With so many actions to take, I believe that having a conversation is one of the most impactful ways that we can create actions down the line. I wanted to introduce you to a fellow climate reality train, Shruti. She is the creator of an e-zine about marine conservation that includes storytelling about conservation and spotlights the work of ocean explorers, marine scientists, conservatists, storytellers, and she's also a United Nations Association ambassador for life underwater. We have such an amazing conversation about the climate crisis, the mining in the Equatorian rainforest, the rise of nature, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Shurgis, thank you so much for being on the podcast. How are you?
1: Thank you so much, Frank, for having me. This is a wonderful initiative of yours. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I think we met at the uh, Auto Eat in Chicago Home Stories, right?
1: Yes, we did. And uh, you brought on some of the people that work at Apple and we had that Home Stories Cafe. So,
0: Yeah, it was a really cool uh, experience uh, hearing everybody's like Home Story and learning more about the Auto Eden Walk, uh, the project that has been done in Chicago. And uh, it was it was really cool to meet a lot of cool people just like yourself.
1: Absolutely. And same to you. I'm very happy and excited to be following your work, too. And I think you're doing a lot of amazing stuff. So I'm, I'm super excited to keep up with you as, as you go on.
0: Of course. No, thank you. And uh, before we start, I always like to uh, ask my guests for maybe like a quote or a poem, uh, something to kind of ground our conversation. So I was wondering if you have some words of wisdom for a mindful moment.
1: Sure. And my words of wisdom is going to be kind of nature centric, as that's sort of what we'll be talking about in our conversation today. So, um. Mine is by Anne Carson, and she said, those who contemplate the beauty of the earth find reserves of strength that will endure it as long as life lasts. There is something infinitely healing in the repeated refrains of nature, the assurance that dawn comes after night and spring after winter. So I think she meant to talk about the reliability and the repetition of natural processes, and it shows that the world is just always moving and greater than uh, the sum of its parts and greater than all of us, so.
0: Those are beautiful words. And I always think about, you know, the damage that we're doing to the planet. And one thing that I think about is that overall, the planet is going to be fine, right? But humans, we're not going to be fine. So it's like we really have to take care of nature uh, because nature takes care of us. And I know you've been doing a lot of work with communities in Ecuador. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Absolutely. So the work that I do is with regards to community well-being in Ecuador. So I am a member of Reserva Youth Council and at Community Well-Being Committee, what we do is that we see we explore how the conservation efforts in the Ecuadorian Chico can best empower the locals and have them as stewards of the land and ultimately improve their well-being. Because kind of the crux of what we believe in is that Conservation isn't only about nature, it's also about people. So helping the land and helping the nature and focusing on improving people's lifestyles and livelihoods should also be a really important and big part of that conversation, the conservation conversation. So.
0: Yeah, it's something that we've been experiencing a lot in Paraguay, too, is that, you know, it's more economically viable to turn your areas that, uh, you know, farmers have into uh, places for for tourists to visit, to explore. You know, they're also preserving nature that way, but also they make more money than if they were planting, let's say, uh, yucca, for example.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think you're bound to find a lot of examples all across um, South America. And I'm sure that A lot of people also say, talk about um, endogenous development, which is kind of a big buzzword. And it's basically talking about enabling local and indigenous communities to take control of their own development processes, rather than having people from outside of the country come in and kind of tell them what to do. And it's having them, like, and enabling them and empowering empowering them to take their own control rather than, like, having other people come in. And so that's kind of the big uh, buzzword that everyone uses, I think, so...
0: And, and I love that because for so long, uh, a lot of uh, initiatives were not consulting the people that those initiatives would be part of it. I remember, you know, growing up, uh, our organization came in and installed this um, biofuel uh, station into one of the reservations that it was a great initiative to turn uh, bio waste into fuel. Uh, but if the machine broke, there was nobody there to fix it. Right. So then that project kind of ended because it did not take the uh, idea of the people and whether the needs are and also uh, the sustainability of the project over time.
1: Right. Exactly. And I think people on the ground have to be the ones that are involved in and doing the work and just having them empowered is the most important thing. So that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any background at all with um, endogenous development in your work in Paraguay? I
0: I did a little bit of, um, you know, building uh, latrines in the reservation of the Panambi, And um, you can say that this was based on a conversation that they had when they were telling us that a lot of the kids were getting sick for uh, defecating in open areas. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, this is a long time ago, I was really young and I figured like, what could be something that I could do to help with that? And uh, I found like a really old guide by the Peace Corps uh, that was how to build latrines and realized that the uh, cost would not be expensive at all. Mm-hmm. So we did a car wash here in Orlando and we raised money to build uh, two latrines that we did it there. And you can say that, you know, we did help uh, with the conversation. The unionist people, what the needs was, and they told us where they wanted to be built near a school. Some of the kids would use it um, and a little bit of installing solar lights, but not as well as a concept that is done nowadays
1: right that makes a lot of sense and i think the helping the younger generation building the latrines for them and that really sets up a foundation for them to keep you know bringing things back to their own community as time goes on too so that's great um on your end so yeah
0: yeah for sure and uh what's going on over there in the um, salt flats in bolivia with the lithium mining do uh are you working on towards that too
1: um, so I'm not working directly at all with uh, in, like with anything in regards to Bolivia or lithium mining, but I think it's just a definite parallel to a lot of mining that we see in like other countries in, in or for example even in Ecuador. And so um, lithium mining is just uh, there's like a global desire nowadays for um, minerals that are needed to power electric cars and build storage batteries, and so. Bolivia has an ambition to kind of transform into a manufacturer of rechargeable batteries or like um, working with companies like Tesla and just uh, increasing their market and so um, a lot of times the the Bolivian government frequently signed away the mineral rights to foreign firms um, for interest but you get quick profits but they're also very fleeting and so um, a lot of a lot of what the government in Bolivia wants to do is that they want to industrialize with dignity and sovereignty, which is a quote that I read. And it promised that like raw lithium wouldn't be exploited by foreign corporations, but instead processed by state controlled. So they want to move from having foreign companies come in and extract lithium and do business there and have it and like strengthen Bolivia's own state controlled economy. And, um, and you know the the president Evo Morales said that he wants to see a lithium powered Toyota made in Bolivia. And so, as companies ramp up the production for these kind of things, there is you know little concern for the environmental ill effects of using you know, toxic solvents in separation processes. And like other countries too, they have connections with China, uh, both China and Germany, and so. It's it's hard to say now when you bring in other countries, what are they going to do to your salt flat in your country? And um, there's no real scientific certainty at all about the consequences either of industrial scale production and uh, technology. So it's that is kind of the question. There's these beautiful salt flats that are a symbol of the country and that you know are home to flamingos and you know other such you know environment and, and animals. And so what what is going to happen when it starts getting mined and who will directly be profiting from it? And I think that's a big question nowadays.
0: Yeah, I'm from uh, from Paraguay and we are uh, neighbors of Bolivia. And I have traveled through through many uh, countries around the world, you know, to to Asia, North America, Latin America and Europe. And from all the countries that I visit, one of the most beautiful countries and one of the most different to what I have seen in my life is Bolivia. And it's funny because that's our neighbor. You know, we're Paraguay, Bolivia, we're neighbors. But just being there is is like being nowhere else in the world. It's just, it's in a magical place. It's amazing. I highly recommend it anyone to uh, they like traveling to go to Bolivia is it's beautiful it's really it's beautiful amazing. so it, it would be a shame if uh, a lot of that area I guess develop uh, not so much for the beauty but because of uh, nature and the rich culture of the people there
1: right where did or do you have any like experiences in in what are the different environments and like what you saw in Bolivia
0: yeah we went to um, you know, like to Machu Picchu, I went from my home country, I mean, my home city, uh, through Machu Picchu by bus. So we went through, uh, the Chaco area, uh, in Paraguay to the, Bolivia and, um, uh, Lake Titicaca. And it's, it's incredible. It's just, the people are so caring and so friendly and it's, I can't, I like, I can go on and on. It's, it's it's a beautiful country. And they do have a really... Uh, the people there have a big connection to uh, Mother Earth. You know, they call it the Pachamama. Yeah, and uh, it was kind of interesting because it's really high. Like, the altitude is, is, is hard to adjust, you know, coming from, you know, like really almost below sea level in, in my city. And uh, I remember, you know, being up up in the mountains uh, and chewing the, the coca leaves with the, uh, we call it the cholas. And, um, you know, for them, you know, when they take out the, the coca leaves, they don't usually uh, will grab it and, and put it in their mouth. They will make sure that everybody has, they will pass it around. And only when you pass around to everybody, then you will chew on the coca leaves and then you tune it to to walk up the mountains and then once you uh, are finished then you are uh, grabbing your hand you say this is back for pachamama and you put it back on the uh, on the earth so they they oh do my. have yeah it's a really mm-hmm. big nice connection to the uh, to the spirit of of, of the planet and uh, i know we're kind of talking a little bit about uh, nature rights uh you mentioned something in Ecuador that was was passed as a law can you tell me more about that
1: ah uh, yeah I can absolutely just a second let me just um so um so there's a concept called um summa causa kas- uh, and basically that's just the land rights of of nature, the rights of nature, and that has been implemented into the Ecuadorian constitution. Basically, that nature exists as its own entity, and not only something that can be, um, you know, used by human beings. And, and, and land use isn't the only thing that gives that um, land any rights. So, I think. This, this concept is just that nature or Pachamama, as you said, it's like a right-bearing entity that holds value in itself and just apart from human use altogether. And so traditionally we see um, nature as property and we give landowners the right to destroy or damage ecosystems that depend on their land. But in this case, it's really about living in harmony with people in nature and eliminating that separation between nature and society. And now it is in their constitution that is, people are doing their best to uphold this, but sometimes it can get difficult again with the economic pressure going on. So,
0: yeah, there's something similar that they're trying to pass here in Orlando is actually going to go Mm -hmm. to uh, an amendment that people can vote for. I believe it's Mm -hmm. going to be amendment number one that is uh, giving rights to water. And I'm actually helping out uh, creating some videos to raise awareness about the issue. And um, hopefully, you know, people will be aware of this uh, amendment and be able to vote for it. Mm-hmm. And I highly uh, recommend people to do research too on the on the topic. But it's interesting because for so long, we uh, were treating the earth just like an uh, infinite resource that you can just take as much as you want but it's it's that's not such a thing you know we have to 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 take as little as we can and make sure that it keeps on giving for future generations
1: exactly and having that go back full circle is something is really important and you as a as a documentary filmmaker I take it you or you work in filmmaking a lot so is there have you had any experiences um with this like Land and water rights film campaign that you're working with right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of just starting uh, to do some some films. Uh, as you know, I shaved my head uh, doing a video f- to raise awareness about this forest. This is gonna be uh, they're trying to put a toll road uh, through the story uh, to the uh, forest. So I went and I split my hair too. I gave a shirt a haircut. Uh, so I was thinking, you know, what can I do? to raise awareness about our water issues here in Orlando. Uh, one idea that came to me was just drink polluted water <laughs> and then show like the uh, the side effects uh, of what, what it would do to a human body. But I, I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, but I'm interested in, in showing, you know, how we can portray how much of our water goes to different uses. So my idea somehow is to You know, show like a glass of water and let's say 30% of that water goes to irrigation And, you know, irrigation here um, in the United States, a big part is lawns, you know And you're irrigating a crop you cannot eat, so you're wasting a a lot of water that way And then you also have uh, large companies that are bottling uh, water from the springs and you know, plastic uh water bottles, they are found everywhere in the environment. You know, this is a this is a big thing that you know, there's a meme that says, you know, water companies don't turn uh don't make water products, they make plastic products. Something like that.
1: <gasps> right. That's such one a of good those?
0: point. About that. And um you you were also trained with the uh, with the climate reality, right?
1: Yes, uh yes, I did attend the climate reality training with Al Gore, um, just this past few months. So,
0: oh, that is cool. Was it? Uh, what city was your training on?
1: Um. So it. So basically, since due to COVID, it was kind of the entire training was pretty much online. So what we did is Al Gore kind of kicked off the training, and then he brought in a lot of different people who are big environmentalists or just. Um, pr- prominent people in this, in the environment sphere, and he kind of talked about um, what's going on, how how climate change really works, and and the and the crux of climate reality training is that how can we communicate the issues of climate change back to the wider public, and do we use facts and figures, do we use hard science, or how do we translate all of those you know difficult and almost depressing concepts and and empower people and 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 like start change making. And a lot of people are doing this and they're, you know, as, as you are, you're, they're making films, they're, they're writing books, but just on even a micro day-to-day level, how do we communicate, um, climate change? And a lot of people are saying that it's through storytelling. And so, um, connecting with people through telling them a story and making it personal is very, very important because that personal, you know, impact moves people more so than just dry facts and dry figures and people are saying you know 80 percent of the world's you know reefs will be lost by this and this is just like an example and by 2050 or something like that so that it it's not giving an immediacy necessarily to the issue and what will give that immediacy and that push is saying how you know i've i've actually experienced um global warming in in the coral reefs like for example i um i used to live in australia and so sometimes when we would go up to the Great Barrier Reef, I saw like the actual effects of coral bleaching under the, under the ocean. And so that was kind of, so I had this image in my head that coral reefs were going to be these just absolutely iridescent expanses of like a polyps and like fish everywhere. And, and it, to some extent it was like that, but um, the corals weren't the bright and colorful as I imagined. They were, they were just pallid and they're like, almost sepulchral if I'm saying it like just graveyard they're just so um they're white and bleached and so that was my experience with climate change that I think I use that as a storytelling method to communicate this with other people and so that was what climate reality was about there were there were trainings on On what was happening, on like, you know, fires and increase of like water scarcity and droughts and like issues that are affecting um, places in India and, you know, across the world, really. But another section was meeting in small groups and talking to people how can we communicate this to um, the public and people who also say, uh climate change doesn't exist. it's just a hoax because people do believe that for some reason. I don't know how you could, but people think that it's not real and that it's just a natural progression of the earth. when it's really not it's it's been moved uh faster by you know human effects and and what we're doing, the negative effects of you know process and production. So.
0: Yeah, I remember taking the training uh I went to Atlanta. Uh, it was so transformational. Uh, I met a lot of really cool people there that I remain friends with. And, you know, seeing Al Gore deliver his presentation is life-changing. And like you said, you really have to tell your personal story because that's how people uh, connect, you know. Um, I love ref- referencing memes, but uh, <laughs> there's another one that is funny that says... Elephants are so smart. They have a sound that warns other elephants that there are bees around. Somebody wrote that. And then somebody Uh wrote uh, underneath it. Yeah, humans have a sound too. It sounds like, watch out, bees. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what I like about that meme is that it's a story. And that's how we take information It's just we're hardwired to take stories for for our knowledge and our understanding of the world. So anytime that you can tell a story about how climate change has affected you, it resonates deeper with people. Like, you know, you told me the story about seeing the the Great Barrier Reef up close, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So nowadays, if I ever have any kind of experience with that. It's like, well, I know somebody that actually saw it, and they told me how it looked like a, like a graveyard. So it, it's very important for us, you know, that work in the environment uh, awareness field to tell those personal stories. Uh, for me, uh, my personal climate uh, change story is seeing uh, how strong the hurricanes are here in Florida. Uh-huh. And, you know, going to my family in the, the Panhandle, to help them uh, after uh, Michael uh, came through, and it's mind-boggling to see the devastation. Um, I was there right after. I went to uh, take some tarps up. I drove nonstop to to Panama City, and it was it was wow to to see places that you're familiar with, but it's totally devastated. And uh, I was driving through. Dark streets, no lights. Uh, You know, you only have the the electrical companies, the trucks going by super fast. And uh, I turned to the side and I saw this lady that was around this rumble. You know, it looked like a house It was completely destroyed. And she was holding to a window pane, you know. And uh, she was just like dazed that she was like thinking like, (laughs) <laughs> this is, this is all I have from my house is a window pane, you know?
1: Right. So, yeah. It's like that last, um, you know, last relic of your house. And it's, it's crazy what is happening with nature. It's almost like nature's taking revenge. And that's, you know, a kind of a sad way to look at it. But it's, it's great that you were able to go down and, and help out. How long was the drive that you had to take?
0: It was about, normally it's around six hours uh, from Orlando to Panama City. But at mm-hmm. that time, I think it took me maybe eight to, to 10 hours just because of the uh, the detours. And um, I mean, I'm familiar with the area, but I'm not able to navigate it without GPS. And GPS was worthless because they'll tell you to go straight, but there's a tree uh, through the street, right? So you had to kind of figure out an alternative route. And uh, the hurricanes are becoming stronger, you know, because right. of the, uh, the warm waters. And we are seeing the impacts of climate change into our daily lives. And yeah, like you say, always tell the personal story because that's how people are gonna resonate to it. Right. And I, I wanna thank you so much for coming in, You know, talking about all the important work that's happening in Ecuador and Bolivia. And before we wrap up, do you have anything else that you like to mention?
1: having everyone here that like doing the smallest thing and following your favorite environmental leaders and just being involved in sphere is, is something that everyone should be doing and should be excited to be doing because we're really all in it together and there's no way to um, get through climate change or or triumph over climate change and triumph over, um, you know, the degrading environment. Uh, We have to do it together. And I think that's the most, that's the most important thing is just empowering each other and, and keeping on like persevering with it, no matter how much, you know, sadness and how much like stress and and just people get tired by, uh, by this emotionally too. And so just keeping our head up and keeping our chin up and, and gaining strength from each other to, to work towards it, um, work towards a better future in terms of climate change and environment is the most important thing, at least what I think.
0: So. That's that's beautiful words. And it kind of ties up to the last uh, part of our podcast. You know, what is something that we can do from home to be more sustainable? Mm
1: -hmm. Exactly. Um, I think something that we can do from home to what I have been kind of focusing on is working on my personal storytelling. And so I think it's... If you have something that you really enjoy doing, such as, you know, making a a documentary film or writing or creating art, I think doing that and and having that, you know, as means to create conversation and even like uh, doing fundraisers, a lot of people are doing fundraisers for Saving the rainforests or, or helping out communities that have been ravaged by climate change and, and um, giving a little bit of, of money to different places and diversifying who you support and like what organizations you support is something we can all be doing. And it's, it's tough. It's a tough time. And I think it, a little bit can always go a long way
0: to, uh, you,
1: know, you know, gear up against in this fight.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think I'm going to do like this uh, fundraiser for WWF. It's called the Step Up Challenge where you uh, walk and, you know, the more you walk, the more uh, points you get and you kind of go through a journey on an app, learning about different environments. Uh, So I agree with you, you know, a little bit of uh, fundraising in this COVID times helps because uh, environment uh, organizations and leaders Are here to support a more healthier uh, planet. So tell me about this um, magazine that you're working on.
1: Absolutely. So I have started an e magazine initiative called An Hour in the Deep, which is an ocean conservation and water related e magazine that is kind of youth centric. So it empowers like youth to step into the forefront of, of ocean conservation through storytelling and science and eco journalism and have them write their own articles and, and, you know, push their own research and story into creating like a comprehensive, um, you know, chronicle of, of ocean conservation. And so that magazine is something that I've started and I'm working on right now to put it together. Like it is a lot of articles and there's one on coral bleaching. And I've also reached out to a few, um, ocean conservationists and marine scientists and, you know, even presenters and having them do like career spotlights and, um, you know, conservation spotlights on, on their work. And, you know, the future of the oceans too, and the, you know, the nascent technologies that are coming out, um, that's all the, the future of ocean solutions is what we explore in this e-magazine. So it's called an hour in the deep and I will be releasing it in the upcoming months. So you can follow me on my, um, Instagram at sruthi.gdev, S-R-U-T-H-I dot G-D-E-V on Instagram. And I will be releasing more information about that. So
0: That is awesome. Uh, I love that initiative. I think so many young people would get a kick out of it. And I want to definitely put your Instagram on the link bio. So if you want to uh, check it out, um, the magazine or how to uh, find Sushi, uh, you can definitely hit up on the uh, show information. And Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so enjoyable to be talking to you. I know we've been planning this for a long time and I'm glad that it finally happened. And uh, thank you so much.
1: Right. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you for all the incredible, amazing work that you do. And I can attest to this, like we're all in awe of everything you've accomplished and thank you for having me on and giving me a chance to you know, share the message and thank you again for your work and all of your accomplishments and you're a wonderful person so thank
0: you so much <laughs> you make me maybe blush uh no you're doing amazing work there i uh, look forward thank to you. seeing you soon okay bye. all right
1: see you soon all right bye bye
0: Me and our podcast friend Zuniba are fundraising for the Worldwide Fund by participating in the Species Step Challenge through the month of October 2020. This event is about taking steps for addressing some of the most pressing issues facing our planet. We can't protect the future of nature without your help. Every dollar raised counts. Take a look at the soul description to learn more.